Amen. Thank you, Howard. Um, good morning. The, uh, uh, we are in Psalms. We're our second week in Psalms. Um, maybe our last week, may not be. Uh, uh, I've got some things that, uh, in the works that I want to tell you about. What do we have to come? Um, there is a fellow named Joel Chernov. Joel sang with a Christian group called Lamb. He is a Messianic Jew. And um, it is my hope, he's in Jerusalem right now and won't get back till this week. It is my hope he may come next Sunday and sing one or two psalms for us. Uh, uh, if so, um, uh, that'll be like pretty incredible. Um, we will play one of his psalms this morning off of an... <laughs> those of you who are my age and above remember this. These are called albums. <laughs> Records. Um, LPs, long play. If anybody needs a lesson, um, we've got Stacy with some. We took something off a album and put it onto a CD, and um, we have we have that. I'll never forget when one of our kids looked at us and I said, "You sound like a broken record." They said, "Well, that's a good thing, right? Because like at the Olympics, when they break records, that's a good thing." Didn't understand broken record. Anyway, it is my hope we'll have Joel Chernoff here next week. And if so, we may spend a little bit more time in a couple of psalms that he will sing for us. And we'll do the lesson around the psalms that he's singing. Um, uh, Edward Fudge is going to fill in for us, God willing, November 23rd. Uh, he'll be teaching uh, uh, Ecclesiastes. Um, it is our, we're, we're trying to push through and finish the Old Testament fairly soon. Uh, um, and, and yet not do an injustice to the biblical literacy that we're all uh, striving for. Um, so um, mark your calendar, November 23rd. Uh, he thinks he's a, a, a bigger draw than I am, so if y'all all leave, he'll be really crushed. If you're all here, I stay crushed, but he'll be happy, and uh, that's what we need. So now bring your friends, bring your families. Edward will do a great job. Realistically, I think we were going to be on the Song of Solomon that week, but he has graciously asked me, he said it embarrasses him to teach the Song of Solomon. Could I teach that book? And the Song of Solomon, if you don't know, is loaded with sexual entendres. Um, it, it makes a, a James Bond movie look um, like there's no double meaning behind anything. I, it, it's just, it's laden with double meaning. And we will try and do that, uh, yet do that in a respectful and, and decent way, uh, uh, recognizing we have all age groups uh, uh, in this class. Um, but anyway, uh, Edward Fudge will be here, so mark your calendars November 23rd. Um, I will probably combine Proverbs and the Song of Solomon and deal with them in one lesson. And do you all realize, then, we have Isaiah, we have the Jeremiah Lamentation stuff, we have Ezekiel, we have Daniel, and the 12 minor prophets, and we're done with the Old Testament. You will be biblically literate Old Testament scholars. Um, we will spend probably two or three weeks on the Apocrypha. Um, which are the, the Old Testament Apocrypha or books that are in the Catholic Bible and in some other Bibles that, that are between the Old Testament time period and the New Testament. And we'll talk about why we don't have them in our Bibles and, and uh, why some folks believe they belong in the Bible and other folks believe they're just good reading material. And then there are some of us who um, won't even read them, uh, though we should. They are good reading material. I just don't think they're Scripture uh, on the level of Scripture as the Bible. Um, but we will talk about that, and then we're New Testament scholars to blaze through to Revelation. Um, I don't know how many of you have done your homework this week. It wasn't homework. 
Uh, Miss Lazar, who's the kindergarten teacher at Northland Christian College, would have called it fun work. Um, that's what Rebecca says. She gets to do fun work every day. I'll be real interested to see the day where it becomes homework. Um, yours was not homework, but I suggested to you a way of reading the Psalms where you read five a day. So on the first day of the month, you would read Psalm 1, 31, 61, 91, 121. Today is Psalm, uh, today's the ninth. So you'd read Psalm 9, 39, 69, 99, 129. A number of people who are in here were doing it because I'd get emails from them saying, hey, I read this. This is pretty good, you know, and, um, uh, I urge you to continue doing that. It's a great way to read through the Psalms. Um, next, refresher. Let's talk a little bit about what we talked about last week to keep everybody up to date. And then let's look at some key Psalms. Last week, there was a lot of material in your handout I did not get to. I'm not going to get to it this week either. I've given you a new handout with some new Psalms. You can read last week's. And if you want another copy, we've got them here. If not, we'll have them next week and you can get them then. Um, but as a refresher, the, the book of Psalms is a collection of Hebrew poems. It's poetry. Hebrew poetry... Uh, if we define poetry as Webster, no, not Webster, Oxford's English Dictionary does, poetry is the expression of thought. This is something you're thinking, or it's something that you're imagining, or it's something that you're feeling, and you express that in a language and form, and here's the key, that's adapted to stir the imagination. I'm imagining, I have a thought, I have an imagination, I'm going to express it to you in a form that stirs up your imagination. Or I have a feeling, I want to express my feeling to you in a language and a form that stirs up a feeling in you. It stirs up an emotion in you. In um, English literature, historically that's been done in um, certain rhyme and rhythm. You know, you, you have the sonnets, you have the, the different rhyme and rhythm, and, and you, you pick words that try to convey an image within that framework. That's the form. Hebrew poetry didn't do it that way. The key to Hebrew poetry was, as we talked, not rhyme and rhythm, but parallelism. By parallelism, we think of, for example, um, uh, we made the joke last week, I'm sure you all went home and said, told everybody at work, why don't parallel planes meet? Because they take off from parallel runways, remember? The, the point behind the joke surely wasn't humor. It was <laughs> parallel means running side by side. And so a Hebrew poem is something that's going to have a, a statement, um, um, you know, like, I love apple pie. And then another statement that's parallel to it. The next statement could be, it tastes great. See, that's, that, that's, that's a, a, a line of thought that kind of corresponds to the first line of thought. And it gives you further meaning. Now, we also talked about how the second line in a parallel structure could be the exact opposite. So I could say, I love apple pie, and then follow it up with squash Bites. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, and it stirs up in you the emotional response or the understanding or the imagination, not of a squash coming around like a veggie tails biting people, but that squash is terrible. 
because you'd see that, that while I love apple pie, squash bites. And so I'm using language that lets you know I'm conveying the opposite. But it's still considered parallel because it's two lines that are running and, and draw their meaning off of each other. And uh, so we talked about that some last week. And um, uh, we used the theological definition that parallelism is a balanced thought pattern where one line of poetry is compared to a following line or lines, because sometimes it'll be four or three lines where the same thoughts carried just in different language throughout. And so we looked at poems like that, and uh, we talked about how Hebrew poetry was useful in a lot of different ways. For example, um, Hebrew poetry was used to teach children. I had uh, John came up to me after class and said, Hey, I think you made sense out of something I've never understood. Psalm 119. Um, Psalm 119. I've got it here in the New International Version Study Bible. And again, I repeat for those of you who may be new, we keep Bibles on the table. If you don't have a good study Bible, you can write in and bring to class. Take one. That's what they're there for. Write in it. Put your name in it. It's yours. Um, the uh, uh, color adjusting, Philip figured out how to do that. Um, if you look at Psalm 119, you see how this psalm starts out and it says, Olive, and it has that goofy looking thing there. I had John came up to me after class and said, I always wanted to know who that guy was. Okay? Now, if you look eight verses later, you get his brother. Actually, it'd be his sister, Beth. Okay? You see that? And you see the goofy looking squiggle next to it? Next, you'd get Gimel. We have an English word that comes from Gimel. You know what it is? Camel. Yeah, and in fact, that goofy-looking picture is supposed to be a camel originally, before letters. This, this is the Hebrew alphabet. And the reason the Hebrew alphabet's been produced in the NIV in Psalm 119 is because, for example, the first eight verses, the first word in each of those eight verses starts with that letter A, Aleph. Um, the next eight verses, all of the verses start with that first letter of each word being B, bait. And the next, G, gimel. This is the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet is Aleph, bait, gimel, dalet, hey, vav, etc., etc. Now, there are, a, the, when you start some, a poem like this, it, uh, it's called an acrostic. And we do that sometimes in English also. So if we wanted to write our own acrostic psalm, we might say, um, a beautiful day, a B-E-A-U-tiful day, God made. See, instead of God made a beautiful day, we say a beautiful day God made because we want this to be an acrostic. So we want it to start with A. Then our next verse would start with B. So we could say, blessed is He. Um now, we want this to be parallel, though, because this is Hebrew. So we've got to think, well, how can we use B in a way that, that corresponds to God made a beautiful day? Blessed um, are we who live in it, or who en- we who enjoy it. 
And now we've got to really figure out how to make this parallel with the sea. So let's try and do something off of that first line, a beautiful day God has made. Um, Caringly, he crafted it. And then D, and we want to parallel the second verse. Blessed are we who enjoy it. So um, dare we not say thanks. Okay. (laughs) And now you see why... The Psalms are good poetry, and this is like squash. Dare we not say thanks? It ain't all that easy, is it? Well, if we look at a King James version, old King James, I got my dad's mother's. Uh, Mom gave me this this morning. Old Bible. She's uh, no longer on this earth, but Psalm 145, it's an old King James. Psalm 145 is an acrostic psalm also. Each verse starts with the Hebrew letter of the alphabet. And so we look at, for example, verse 13. And this is the verse that starts with the Hebrew letter M, as in um, Mark. Uh, except for them, it's the Hebrew letter Mem is, is what it's called. It says, thy, y'all see verse 13? Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. Then it goes to 14, that the Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that are bowed down. By the way, you see the parallelism here? Look, this is what I mean. This guy's a lot better at it. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. That's the first statement. And then, thy dominion endureth through all generations. That's saying the same thing. See, it's, it's called synonymous parallelism instead of the opposite. Um, but here's what's interesting. This King James translation comes from what's called the Masoretic text of the Old Testament. It's what the Masoretic scholars had for a thousand years been hand copying one to the next. The oldest copy we had was about 1100 uh, A.D. Okay, so that's over a thousand years since this psalm was written, written well over a thousand and it was an, an alphabet psalm that had A, B, C, D, E, F, G in English letters. They don't have those letters in Hebrew, but for our illustration, A, B, C, D, everything but the letter N. And the letter N, that verse was somehow missing. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which were discovered in the 40s, had a complete set of, of uh, a number of different psalms, including Psalm 145. And it had the inverse still in it. It had not been deleted out. And so if you've got an NIV Bible and you look at Psalm 145, which is what we have in front of us, it's got the whole A, B, C, D, E, F, G of the Hebrew alphabet verses. And what they did is they just made verse 13 extra long. Because you can't like start adding another verse. That messes up everybody's Bible. So they took verse 13. And now it says, as the King James, instead of thy kingdom, it's your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generation. And it adds the in verse. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. See, you didn't get that verse until this. But uh, that's why the NIV has the verse. And, and the King James, the old King James does not. Um, I don't think they put it in the new King James either because I think they try to keep the same verses that they had in the old. Uh, but they probably I, uh, drop it down into a footnote and say the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Syriac Peshitta, and the, the Septuagint indicate 
that here's the additional verse. Um, so, uh, Psalm 145. Now, let's get back to where we were. I want us to look at a couple of psalms real quick this morning. The first one we're going to look at is Psalm 137. This is one of my favorite psalms. Um, Psalm 137, if you've got it in your Bible, you can turn to it, and I'll keep it on the screen up here also uh, because I can point to it a little easier than putting a Bible up. Let's just read through it the first time together, and uh, then let's go back and let's take it apart. We're going to look at this psalm, and we're going to look at Psalm 23 this morning. And I can't... I, I, the best way to get biblically literate on the Psalms is to do my reading program and just read through a month after month after month because all of these Psalms um, are, in my mind, just beautiful. I love them. They're a part of my heart. Um, I've lived with them for... for uh, uh, I am standing testimony to that reading program. Um, I, I confess to you I'm off of it now and I'd like to be back on it. Um, uh, I've lost track of it. But for 12 years of my life, I read through the Psalms every month. And, and, and they just, they, they take root in you and they start growing. Um, uh, it's kind of like the movie Alien, you know, it's just kind of, except it's a good thing. And, um, uh, uh, I would urge you to do it and just spend time in them. Let's look at Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on poplars, we hung our harps. Now try to get the picture here because a picture is being painted for you. We know from reading this that these guys must, this must be the Babylonian captivity. We already know that from the first verse. So these are Jews who have been, their city's been conquered. They've been carted off to Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, um, the, the holy place of Israel. There on poplars, we hung our harps for there, our captors ask us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Okay. Now, you see the parallel structure here. There, our captors ask us for songs. Then he says the same thing again. Our tormentors, that's the same as captors, demanded, instead of ask, songs of joy. They want happy ones. They said, that's the captors, the tormentors, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Sing us one of those happy songs, one of the hits. Give us the, the top 40 there in Zion, you know. Play us some of that happy stuff. Well, the psalmist says, how can we sing the songs of the Lord? Um, and, and I've put Hashem there. Uh, I'll tell you why in a little bit. Um, while in a foreign land... How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. That's what he'd play the harp with, or she. If I forget you and I play, if I, you see, this is parallel. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Forgetting God would be singing his songs to the, to the tormentors. That's to forget God in this parallel structure. So the Hebrew writer saying, if I sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land for my tormentors who are just asking for it, Lord, may my right hand forget how to even play this harp. May my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth where I can't even say anything, much less sing. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Now you can tell this is, if you... I should have brought the Hebrew. If you read this in Hebrew, 
um, as the as the psalm the poem progresses, the writer is using more and more guttural and sibilant sounds in the Hebrew. It's a and a and it just it starts turning almost acidic. The feel you get reading this, it's almost like German. You know how in German everything sounds like a cuss word, okay? <laughs> You know, and, and, and French is the exact opposite. Everything sounds beautiful. Uh, you know, French cussing sounds like it's just the most glorious thing in the world. You'd never dream they're saying something bad. German, they can say, God bless you, Gesundheit. And you just think, I'm sorry, don't hit me. Um, okay, this starts sounding very visceral and, and, and um, emotional, okay, in the Hebrew. Um, if I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget how to play a harp. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth so I can't sing. If I don't remember if you, I don't consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Why? Why? Listen to the end of this psalm. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction. Babylon won't stand. Happy is he who, that should be, pays you Although, if the writer had only known that word, he very well might have uh, uh, said, happy is he who spays you. Um, uh, I saw Donna Grasshoff, my veterinarian, last week. She could have been there and helped. Okay, let's go back. Happy will be he who pays you. For what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. This psalm is written by someone who saw their infants and others' infants picked up and smashed against the rocks. And the people who did it are now saying, hey, sing this real happy song. Um... That's why I say he probably would have said spay him, you know. Um, it, uh, uh, it's very moving. Um, a lot of scholars, if you read, I, I don't like most of the commentaries on the Psalms I've read. I love commentaries. I'm a commentary freak. I have gazillions. I read them. I buy them. And there are tons of great commentaries. Um, but on the Psalms, um, uh, there, there are a lot of people who take different approaches and, and seem to be more scholastically into the Psalm and not as much living it and breathing it. And uh, um, uh, it's hard to find a good commentary on the Psalms. A lot of psalmists think this Psalm was written, uh, you know, 300 B.C., uh, after the return from exile of the Jews. And I don't see that at all. This Psalm was clearly written by someone who had experienced it. A lot of psalmists say, well, this is not a Christian psalm. This is a psalm of uh, someone who wants God to go dash infants against the rocks. Well, I, this is a psalm of anguish being expressed by a human being who is a child of God. This is not being given to us as the ideal of human behavior in this psalm. This psalm is a heartfelt cry to the Lord. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. On the poplars we hung our harps because there our captors ask us to sing songs. Sing us songs of joy. The songs of Zion. If I forget you, Lord, 
May my right hand lose its ability to pay. May my tongue cleave to the roof of the mouth. If I don't consider you my highest joy, remember what the Edomites did, how they yelled, tear it down, when Babylon was there. And happy will be he who repays you and takes your infants and smashes them on the rocks. Joel Chernov in Lamb sings a song um, that uh, uh, was put out in 1976. And um, he has taken this passage and he has combined it. He's, he's left out the vivid part of the children, but he has combined it with a passage out of Isaiah. And um, I'm going to play it. It takes about four minutes. Now, I want you to sit back and comfortably listen to this, but listen to the emotion within the song. Understand that the Psalms were songs. They were written to be sung. And so this gives you a feel for a Jewish person singing this psalm. But I want you to look at the insight as he sings it as a Jew who believes in Jesus Christ. Who sees how to take this psalm and put it within a Christian understanding that we now have with the fullness of the gospel. And so it's, it's very illuminating what he's done. I'll put the words up here. If you'd start uh, uh, the CD, please. There we go. By the rivers of Babylon We sat and wept for Zion By the moping willow In her midst We sadly hung there our said, come sing a song of joy. How can we sing when joy is gone? If I forget Jerusalem, may my right hand its cunning Find a way for Jerusalem, golden city of our God. Into the tears we cry for thee, Lord, so far, far away from
Jerusalem, golden city of our God. You to all the tears we cry for thee, O Lord, so come. He's got some incredible songs. Um, What he basically does is he takes Old Testament scripture and some New Testament scripture and he sings it um, uh, and really tries to capture the mood of the scripture in in the way that he sings it, which uh, seems appropriate. Um, If we look at what he's done with this psalm, though, it's very Jewish, very Christian, and to me, very um, uh, helpful. He took the psalm, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept, And he sang the verses that have the core of the song. And then he goes to Isaiah and he adds a little of his own commentary. And here is the thrust of what he's saying. We live in a time where our innocence has been shattered, where our joy has been robbed, where we live in in, uh, outside of where we were supposed to be living. And our captors, our tormentors, the world comes to us and says, let's be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Let's just, oh man, let's just rejoice. And he says, how can I do that? The only way I could do that is to forget my God. The only way I could do that is to forget what's happened. And that's not the right thing to do. Don't, Lord, don't let me forget. Instead, I long for the day when Yeshua, Hebrew for Jesus, I long for the day when the Holy One comes and restores us to where we should be. That's when I'll sing with joy. I want to tell you something. If you've been in this class from the beginning, you know that we were not made to be in this world the way it is right now. Uh, Becky and I have someone real dear to us who's, who's not doing well with cancer right now. And you just sit there and you just want to weep. And you do weep. We do not live in the world that God made us to live in. We all live in exile. Eden 
is not this. God did not make us to be this way and he did not make the world to be this way. We live under a curse that came because of sin. And for us to say, let's be happy and joyful living in that condition would require us to forget or never know what condition we're really in and just be blind to what's really the true situation in the world. The only way we have joy, the only reason we can sing songs of joy, the reason we have a joy and a peace that passes understanding is only because the Holy One of Israel has returned to us and said, yes, you're in exile, but I promise you the day is coming where you will be in a land where there is no night and where there are no tears. And God himself will wipe it away. God will take this and he will peel this heaven and earth back and he will destroy it and evil will be destroyed and, and all of the harms and results of sin. And God can do that justly because God came down and, and, and in perfection died for the right to do it. And so now we see the Holy One returning to us. And we have reason to sing for joy. We can lament the psalm, we can understand where it's coming from, but we can sing for joy. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, what I'd like to do briefly is look at one more psalm. I don't, I don't uh, want to end there. Um, not that that's a bad place to end, but uh, let's look at one more psalm. Let's look at the 23rd psalm. You all know that one? Okay, this is a good one to look at because of what it does to the parallel structure and all. This is a beautifully written psalm in Hebrew, and I'm going to throw out one nugget that I think is often misunderstood in the psalm. The Lord, Yahweh, um, and I used Hashem earlier for that, especially if, like Joel Chernoff comes to us, you will not hear me say Yahweh. Because uh, I think even a lot of Messianic Jews think it's sacrilegious to speak the name of God. Instead, they say Hashem, which is Hebrew for the, ha means the, Shem is name, the name. And so when they're reading their Bible and they see the name of God, they don't say the name Yahweh. They say Hashem, the name. So he would read, the, the name is my shepherd. It's, it's interesting. That's the way they do it. Um, so Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, here's the hinge for this. this um, 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 oh, how am I going to do this? Um, I'm sorry. I've, I've, I know we're in a hurry now. but um, he, The hinge verse on this is, uh, let's get to it. Okay, here's your hinge. Get this back up here. Right here. And the parallel structure of this psalm pivots around that hinge. Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil. That's the center of the psalm. And we talk about parallel structure. Before that, look at all the references to God. It's He, 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 or the Lord. It's all third person, right? Then after you get to the hinge, even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil it becomes very personal to the writer. Because now it's you, you, you. You see the difference? 
This is Hebrew parallelism. This is the beauty of the poem. This is meant to inspire you. It's meant to stir up your imagination. It's meant to stir up your emotion. It's meant to make you realize we can talk about God and what God does. But when we get to the middle and we get to the heart, when we get to the meat of it, it only works if we make it personal. And it needs to be us and the Lord. Now, the psalm itself says things that are very reassuring. Basically, the psalm before the hinge and after the hinge say the same thing. God takes care of you physically. He provides your food. He provides your drink. And He protects you. And it says it both ways. It says it before. He's my shepherd. I shall not want. means I'm going to have what I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That, that's physically. He takes care of me. Um, by the way, he makes us lie down in green pastures because left to our own devices, most of us will lie down in the thorns and the thistles. And the Hebrew verb has that punch. It's he forces me to lie down in green pastures whether I want to or not. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and restores my soul. So he takes care of the, the food, the drink. He's the shepherd. You've got green pastures. You've got quiet waters to drink from. And your soul is restored. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now look at the bottom of the hinge. God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the same way that I won't want because God's my shepherd... As the shepherd, his rod and his staff will comfort me. In the same way that you make me lie down in green pastures, lead me beside quiet waters, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies and anoint my head with oil and give me plenty to drink. My cup overflows. Um, The psalmist is saying that in the midst of anything going on, God is there to take care of you as a shepherd. And it ends with a wonderful verse. It says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord, Yahweh, Hashem, forever. Um, Now, the house of the Lord has caused some scholars to say this psalm could never have been written by David. Um, uh, and, And we don't know for certain that it was. As we talked last week, the title that says a psalm of David could mean a psalm written out of reverence to David or, or out of uh, uh, inspiration of David. But there are some good indicators that this would be a Davidic psalm. Um, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The reason a lot of scholars think this is not uh, written by David is because David did not build the temple. Who built the temple? Solomon. And they say the temple was the house of the Lord. That's, the Lord says, this is my house. This is where I'm going to dwell. So a lot of uh, critics say this was written by some priest who lived in the temple. I say, hogwash. You know why? Because these scholars need to get out more. See, these scholars, one of the problems with scholars like this is they all specialize in one little area. And they want to get published. But they they, they don't have a, um, they, they, they don't study enough. Biblical archaeology is not studied by most people who study biblical linguistics. It's just not. So the linguistics people write these commentaries, and if they learn their biblical archaeology, they would learn that the way Hebrew houses were built, here's your house reconstructed. This is the ground floor, and we've taken a big hole out of the house so you can see the ground floor. Do you all have any clue what uh, those are? 
animals. Hebrews, and I don't think of the king ranch when you're here reading the 23rd Psalm. Most Jews had a couple of lambs, a couple of sheep, a couple of goats. They weren't the huge ranchers, okay? Um, uh, they brought their livestock in at night, and their livestock lived in their home. And, and I mean, there's no question about that. Archaeology is clear on that. The livestock lived in the home. So this is just more of the shepherd's image, and this could be King David very easily. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. And I, you know, he takes care of me. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because I will dwell in the Lord's house forever. I, I live with him. This is 24-7. God's not my shepherd during the day. God's not my shepherd only at night. God's my shepherd all the time. And at night when he goes home, he takes me with him. And I stay there. I live with my Lord, and He takes care of me all the time. Doesn't that stir up your imaginations? And Doesn't that make you start thinking about ways that God does take care of you? Doesn't it kind of stir up your emotions to think He takes you home with Him at night? And that you live there? And it's not that it's some some, uh, priestly temple where you go in and you do your holy stuff. This is the real house where they like cook the meals, where they have the fire going. Where they make blankets. Mark, how do they keep the rain out of that big hole? <laughs> <laughs> I see this guy over here? I would tell you, he's rolling the roof out. They put plaster on their roofs, and in the summer they would actually put, uh, uh, um, hang tarps up there and, and sleep outdoors because of the heat. And uh, that was, uh, that's called the upper room, is what they would call that. Uh, up on the roof. But uh, yeah, that hole doesn't belong there. Um, anyway, uh, points for home as we go home are as follows. Um, we didn't have time to reach Psalm 51. Boy, it would have been a doozy after Demond's phenomenal sermon this morning. Um, psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. That's, that's just incredible. Um, points for home. Keep reading your psalms. Because you, you won't see it first time, you won't see it the second time, but you'll see something new each time. Just keep nibbling on them, and they'll keep nibbling back. And uh, it's wonderful. Listen to the Psalms. Read them to each other. If you're married, over breakfast, over coffee, over dinner, sometime this week, if you don't want to read all five, that's fine, but take one of them. Say, okay, honey, I'm going to read you this Psalm. Listen to it. Now, don't do it like, because you've already read it, and they need to hear this one. Okay, that... <laughs> You, as my dad would say, at that point, you've quit preaching and you've gone to meddling. Um, so don't do it that way. Just do it to get the word out there. It'll be a wonderful thing to talk about. It'll give you both something to grow together on. Marriages today spend so much time in different arenas growing apart. This is something to help you grow towards each other. Um, let the Holy One bring your joy. Don't walk around with fake joy without Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you've got no room to be happy. You really don't. Um, repent before God. We didn't hit that psalm. Trust the shepherd. We did hit that psalm. Pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for the chance to go through your word. And you have chosen to express yourself to us in so many ways. Thank you for the beauty and the awe and the um, wonderment of these poems, these songs and psalms. Uh, They do stir us up, Lord, to try and understand you more. Uh, it's not black and white from you, but it's an expression that that 
that we try to understand the nuances and, and pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us uh, to find in these reasons and causes to worship you more fully, to be more fully honest with you and tell you how we feel, even when it doesn't seem to be holy, and uh, to receive your mercy and your comfort. Uh, bless us as we go about this, Lord. In Jesus we pray, amen. Our Proverbs and Song of Solomon, or if we've got Joel Chernoff coming, we may hit a couple more psalms and let him sing us for them. Sing them for us.